The introduction of the Mass today, I think, centers on the, the central focus of the liturgy today. And simply put, the liturgy is saying, pray, 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 and then listen. And listen to the Spirit of God in your prayer. But we have a, a rich set of readings that are both clarifying and confusing at the same moment. So we look at this from Genesis. This is the 17th chapter. And last week we heard in the 17th chapter when God first approached people through Abraham, Abram, and renamed him Abraham. And all the chapters before chapter 17 are considered pre-creation stories. In other words, the Israelite people began with Abraham, and that is where the history began. But then they asked questions like, why is there sin, and why do people hate and kill each other? Because, uh, like, by the third chapter, is it that Cain kills his brother Abel out of jealousy over a blessing? So people didn't understand, why do we do that? And these stories were written, stories, uh, to try to capture some way of looking at sin and, and trying to come to an understanding. But it all really began with Abraham. So in that chapter 17, we hear Abraham's call. He's supposedly 99 years old and his wife is similar age, Sarah. And uh, because he shows great hospitality, which is a tremendous value to the Jews, to the Middle East, to all of our cultures that are present here this morning, uh, we all love hospitality. And because Abraham showed it, the three visitors said, by this time next year, you will have a son, child. And it happens. Then we move into this. Now, I really encourage you to read chapters 17, 18, and 19, uh, uh, but don't, but do. It's, it's creepy. It's real weird. We move into this section where Sodom, a big city, has just been really, really not responsive to God. And so Abraham is trying to bargain with God. Now, this is where it's confusing, because I don't think you can bargain with God. I could be wrong, but I'll stand on St. Thomas Aquinas. He taught about 400 years ago, one of the things in philosophy, he said, God is immutable. For God to be who we say God is, created everything, and is, is all in all, how do you change God's mind? Like he makes a mistake? or like he didn't think of something. Uh, so in philosophy, he says God's immutable. He's unmovable. He can't be changed. However, the way we look at it is, when we want and need something, we like to bargain. The Jews are really good at this. It's part of their culture. And so here we get Abraham bargaining with God because God has already come and said, I heard all these complaints about Sodom, and i got to do something. And so that something is probably uh, destroy them or wipe them off the face of the earth. So Abraham starts to bargain. What if I find 50, Lord? Would you not do it? He says, yeah, okay, you find 50. What about five more? Would, if I get five more and it's 45, would you, would you leave them alone? Yeah, okay, I, I think I would. And it's 30 and it's 20. And he gets down to a minion, 10, which was the minimal amount for such a bargaining. And he still says, yes, I will save them. But we know the following chapter, it's not going to happen. Now, the following chapter is a, a chapter of inhospitality and hospitality because Lot is the figure now. And Lot and his wife and children will be the only ones saved, although Lot's wife will turn to a pillar of salt because she looked back and didn't listen to what God said to do. However, before that happens, a Lot uh, has some visitors come, angels, I guess, of God, and, uh, and the town's 
people go crazy because uh, they're living terrible lives. So they come to Lot's house and they say, give us those men. We're going to abuse them. And this is where it gets really creepy. So uh, don't read it unless you want to read some creepiness, okay? Um, so they become very inhospitable to the guests of Lot. And then um, the town, will, the city will be destroyed. Now, that's the context. And the second reading captures that in very few words. And it says, basically, you were found to be in death, but you have found life through him. And that sums up what's going on in Sodom and, and in our own lives and our struggle with sin. But when we come to this gospel today, we focus, we begin to focus on this question of, of prayer. And it's, it's a great mystery, really, how this works in our lives. Um, first of all, they, they ask him, Jesus, to teach them how to pray like John did to his disciples, how any spiritual guru or master would do. They would teach the disciples how to pray. And so he gives them the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, uh, a, a little different version than we hear in Matthew and Mark. But then immediately afterward, if you look at the uh, reference, and it tells you the chapter and verses, there's no skipping, there's nothing left out. Right after he teaches the prayer, he gives a parable to explain it, to help them get deeper into it. And so he tells this story uh, that there's a man who has obviously gone to bed, his kids, his wife, his, they had animals in the house, they closed it down, turned, you know, blew out the candles, and they're in for the night. And, and uh, in these little houses of poor people, they didn't have a lot of room to move around, so it was very inconvenient to get up and start attending the needs of a neighbor or something. But a neighbor comes because he just found himself in an unfortunate situation. A, a, a friend comes, and he doesn't have any bread for him, no food. And this is very embarrassing. I mean, the, the Jews felt hospitality was one of the highest virtues. So... Man comes, he has no bread, so he, what's he do? Go to his neighbor, pounding on the door. Come on, can you give me some bread? I, a friend came, and I don't have any bread to give him. Please, lend me some bread. And the guy in the house says, no, get out of here. We went to bed, we're not getting up. We're not getting up, leave it alone. So Jesus pushes the parable further. And he says the man keeps insisting, and he says this. That man in that house who said no, who was being inhospitable to his neighbor because it was inconvenient, he will get up and help him. If not out of friendship, he'll do it just because this guy is like a dog with a bone. He ain't going to let this go. I need some bread. I need some bread. I need some bread. And he'll eventually get the bread. He'll do it because of his persistence. And he says, that, that is how you must pray. Pray with persistence. Keep asking. And then twice, not once, but twice, he says, knock, seek, ask, knock, seek ask. And then he says, ask for the Spirit and then listen, because the Spirit will come to you in prayer. Again, I suggested that this both clarifies and confuses, because I hear what people say about prayer, you know. They get cancer, and they ask God to take it away. They're tired of their diabetes or their dialysis, and they beg God, please remove this. Fix my marriage. Fix my kids. Fix my finances, you know, get me help. 
And, and all these are good things. This is asking for an egg, and they seem to get a scorpion in return. So some people talk to me, and they say, Father, why won't God give this to me? And I say to them, you know, life has some inevitabilities. I can't say the word this morning. Inevitable it is. <laughs> um, for example, when, when your body begins to wear out and you're coming toward your death, many people know it. They see it coming, and, and there really is no escaping it in certain circumstances. But I'll tell you, on my deathbed, I think I'll still say, God, save me. Come on, get me out of this bed. I want to dance some more. Um, not because I believe it's going to happen, but because I like to be a person of hope. I like to hope when there seems to be no hope. Why? Because it, it lifts my spirit. It, it does something for me. But I've visited many a bedside in the hospital or at a home of somebody dying. And here's what I discover. Um, I've told you this before, but give them the only thing to sick. In fact, somebody died this week that I didn't get to because they ju it just didn't get arranged. And, and I suspect the family felt terrible about it and, and think that if you don't get anointed, somehow you won't be saved by God or saved as much. And I say, nonsense. God doesn't need the sacrament. God doesn't need the church. He doesn't need me. God can do whatever God wants to do and can reach into our spirits but we need things. We need things because they help us, not because they help God to help us. For example, if, if you have a loving father or mother that they're just not accustomed to saying, honey, I love you, because they didn't grow up with it. My own dad, he was 40 when I was born. I was number five out of six. I was the best, and then the little runt came along after me. But I was there, and, and my dad, and I don't recall him ever in all my life ever saying, Perry, I love you. It, 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 they just didn't say it. This strong German-American family, and they, didn't, they weren't huggy, touchy people. Uh, did I know he loved me? Absolutely. Would I have loved to hear the words? Absolutely. Would it mean that he loved me more if he said it? No, I don't believe that. But I would have felt it differently and maybe more because it's a nice thing to hear. And the anointing of the sick is something like that especially when we're suffering greatly or approaching death, it is really nice to celebrate that God is here with you now, anointing you with his spirit and love. Could he, would he anoint you without uh, the anointing of the sick? Absolutely. But by doing it, by celebrating the ritual, we open ourselves in awareness to it. We become very intentional Come on in, God. Knock, knock, knock. Ask, ask, ask. And he says, I'll send you my spirit. Now, when I've gone to anoint people in the hospital or at their homes, and I come in sometimes and they're just uh, in a lot of pain or a lot of fear, their faces sometimes are kind of wrinkled with, with uh, whatever is going on inside them. And I explain to them what I'm going to do. I'm going to begin with prayer, then I'm going to lay hands on you in silence, ask God's Spirit to come upon you just like my hands come upon you, and then I'm going to say the prayer of anointing. And the anointing is putting oil on you that gets absorbed into your skin because what we're really praying for is not oil, but God's Spirit to be absorbed into your person, just like what we're going to do with Leonardo in baptism. The Spirit of God will be absorbed into him to begin to form and shape a young man of faith. 
So this is a, a, an amazing celebration. And not always, but very often I've seen one or two or both things happen. Sometimes I'll see faces, like I said, all crunched up in pain, just become relaxed. Because what we just celebrate is God is with you right now. God loves you and pours his spirit all over you and into you. Sometimes that just relaxes a person. And they really feel, I believe, at least that's what I think I'm seeing, that they believe that God is with them, helping them through this moment, even helping them through death. And sometimes a single tear, I think a, a tear of gladness, of joy comes out, just kind of freezes on their cheek. I've seen this many times. See, when scriptures are suggesting to us, when we come to God in prayer and we ask sincerely for what we need, he's so much better than us. Even us, we, we wouldn't give our kid who asked for an egg a scorpion instead. Here, have a scorpion. But I asked for an egg, Daddy. Here, a scorpion. Here, can I have a fish? Here, have a snake. And Jesus says, if you, we who are sinners, wouldn't do that, how much less would God do something like that? Now, if we believe that, if we believe that God would only give us the good, and suffering and death is part of life, that doesn't mean he'll take that away, but give us the good in the process of suffering and dying. And if we can find God in our suffering and dying, then that gift of the Spirit is, is, is a gift. It's a gift. Right now, we're going to baptize with Leonardo, and he doesn't really, I think, have a clue of what's going to happen, but he's a very happy little kid. I've had two today, smilers, and, and he's alert and going to have water on him in a second. But uh, I think he'll enjoy it. But we're going to bless the water first and then renew our promises of faith and make the promises for Leonardo. And this will prepare us for the actual pouring of the water.